Welcome to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible talks presented on Sundays across our three English-speaking services. Today, we'll be thinking through more from our latest instalment in our series from the Gospel of Luke as we consider what it looks like to be a radical disciple of Jesus. So, let's get right into it and dive deeper. Welcome everybody to another episode of Deeper. My name is Grace Jones and thanks for tuning in once again. Um, Today we are continuing on in our series Radical as we um, continue to have a look at some of the controversial things that Jesus um, had to say to his contemporaries. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 14 verses 1 through to 14 which was preached by Rod Bailey on um, Sunday the 2nd of March. Um, Welcome Rod. Good to be back, Grace. Good to have you back, and thank you for stepping in too. I know um, most people wouldn't know this, but you weren't actually scheduled to preach on Sunday. No, poor Mark. It was down with the flu and wasn't unwell, but that's why you have a team. It was great to be able to step in for him. <laughs> you stepped up to the plate. Um, you did a great job. Um, can you just run us through and remind us um, what happened in this passage and um, what your sermon was actually about? What was the take-home message from Sunday? Yeah, so it's the start of Luke 14 where Jesus is at uh, Pharisee's house and it's actually a gathering of other religious leaders. So it seems a a party for the elite Mm -hmm. of town and Jesus invited along um, seemingly to trap him and to um, show him to not be meeting their standards or disobeying the law as they saw it. Um, So it's a a confronting passage, um, but we find Jesus actually on the front foot and they end up on the back foot despite Mm -hmm. their setup. Um, So my big question was, what are we to understand about the kingdom of God? Because I think Jesus is teaching as he rebukes them about um, their approach to things. Um, He's explaining some values uh, of the kingdom and what that looks like relationally. So the three points were in the negative in this one. What are we learning? Well, three things we're not to be. So we're not to be self-righteous. The kingdom of God is not for the self-righteous. Secondly, the kingdom of God is not for those seeking their own honor. And thirdly, the kingdom of God is not for the self-serving. So there's a focus on humility uh, in this passage, being aware of our dependence on God's mercy. And it's a challenging section where he's really rebuking the leaders harshly. Mm. I think, um, yeah, I I was really thankful to God that he used you on Sunday because for me this passage just really came alive. Um, And it was so clear the power struggle that was at play here between Jesus and the Pharisees there. Um, so just like to fill in some gaps, I guess, for those of you who um, don't remember the actual story, um, the Pharisees have brought along to their sort of elite party um, a man who is suffering, who has some sort of illness, um, and they kind of placed him before Jesus to see how he'll react. Um, and we've already seen what his thoughts are on the Sabbath and healing and things. Um, and so he questions them. Should I not heal this guy on the Sabbath? They remain silent. Um, and then he goes ahead and heals, of course. Mm. Um, but this this man is just being used as a bit of bait, as you were pointing out, that like the Pharisees seem to still lack compassion. He's not actually a guest at their party. He's just a pawn in their games. Yeah, um, and, it, and it seems like Jesus, um, I think that's emphasized too, after Jesus heals him early on in the interaction, he sends him on his way, we're told. Mm-hmm. And Jesus thinks, it seems, that, well, for him to just remain there, even though he's healed, would just be most awkward 
and really what he needs to do is go on his way healed and so he sort of gives him an exit as it were out of the situation yeah well because then he goes on to rebuke the pharisees and that that rebuke's not really needed for that man (laughs) it's needed for the pharisees so um you pointed out that jesus is kind of an awkward um guest um who he's not afraid to um to rebuke even his own hosts Um, and he goes on to do that criticizing a how they arrange themselves around the table Mm -hmm. um the way that they kind of look to each other and assess their own value Mm. based on comparison with each other and then secondly um the guest list itself Mm. of who is included and who has not been included in such a gathering yes um and so um yeah just for me i just thought wow like you can start to see the tension really building as we kind of head closer and closer into um easter i suppose yes um yeah so it was like oh it was just awkward 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 party um but with some really uh, important messages for us now as well Mm. um but before we kind of dive into some of the things that come out of that i'm just wondering if you can clarify for us once again what the kingdom of god is so you had framed your talk around um thinking through stuff jesus had to say about what the kingdom of god is like Mm. Uh, and last week ken went into quite a bit of detail on the podcast um, sort of defining and giving some, I guess, broad brushstrokes of the kingdom of God. But can you try and just remind us of that or summarize that concept for us again? Yeah, the kingdom of God, I would summarize as God's rule over God's people as they respond to his word in obedience. So uh, Christ's teaching, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, announces kingdom values or how we should live under Jesus' kingship and So there's a lot of that happening, I think, in this passage, even though the kingdom of God is not mentioned as a phrase in this passage. uh, The reason I I think it's the focus is at the end of chapter 13, which we considered the previous week, there's quite a focus and it's clearly named uh, the kingdom of God. But then when you get to verse 14, the very end of this section talks about the resurrection of the righteous. So it's looking forward to um, the consummation of Christ's kingdom in heaven, which is God's people being with him. And so it seems to be framed before and after with a a focus really on the bigger picture of um, God's kingdom and his plans for the future and how his Mm. people are to live. And so I think really in essence it's about how to live in the kingdom. And he was scathing in his view of how the Pharisees misunderstood this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's sort of the heart of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So coming out of that, then I mentioned that they were sort of comparing themselves and judging who could who ought to sit where based on um their status amongst the group Mm. um in what ways do we buy into that sort of comparison game and and esteem ourselves compared to others um how is it that even at our church um we value and esteem certain people over others um and what's wrong with that kind of thinking yeah i mean it would be good to say firstly that um the bible does call us to uh honor people that have been um, set apart for certain roles in say the life of the church so um, it's not wrong to um, you know honor somebody who's um, teaching God's word and I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor but that's that's something <laughs> it's okay in. I'll say it we should you know honor and respect our pastors there we sure, go I said it for you <laughs> there's, you know but also those who are placed as in positions of leadership if they're an elder or a deacon or they've got some role like we honor them for their role not because they're more important than the other members of the congregation but just because they're serving us in a particular role and we want to acknowledge that and let them do that um so i I don't think this passage is saying you shouldn't honor anybody you know in any way ever and that we should um you know speak in a way as if 
Um, there's no um, sense that God cares to acknowledge um, somebody serving him. But um, having said that, with that caveat, um, yeah, the, the great crux of this passage, and I think generally the New Testament, is that the danger so often is that we use sort of worldly systems of comparing ourselves, um, which is not about service of God, but it's just about position in society. Um, so the person's job or their wealth or the suburb they live in, or in a Christian setting, in a church, it may be how long I've been a Christian or mm. my Christian heritage, my parents were really strong Christians or my family were in mission or mm-hmm. you know, it'd be something like that. How long I've been at this church. Or, yeah. yeah. And so we come up with the, our own grading system, as mm-hmm. it were, for, I don't know, the importance of somebody. And so, I don't know, you'll hear people speak about, oh, that, that, that family, they're pillars of the church or something, mm. which which they might be, and they might have been there for 40, 50 years and have given themselves in service, and that might be a wonderful thing. But it can, there can be a false um, sort of honour or ladder of importance that people have in their minds. Um, when we're all equally sinners, all equally saved by grace, uh, we're family, brothers and sisters, no one is to be more important than another. Um, and yet we see in the Pharisees in the first century, it was clearly there then, it still mm. exists in society today. And that's because... Um, we struggle with pride. Uh, we struggle with um, people honouring us in some way or acknowledging, um, you know, that we have we have an important role or mm. that we've done things in the past. And yeah. um, we we want to take credit at some level for something. We we struggle to give the honour to God or the glory to God, which we should rightly do. Yes. And we're trying to retain something for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking as you were speaking to. Um, I think it's Corinthians where they talk about like the body has many parts and that we shouldn't really be like Mm. esteeming certain parts over another because actually they're interdependent and we all need each other. Exactly. 1 Corinthians 12 is really strong on that. And so, yeah, our our problem, I guess, is that, yeah, God has created a level playing field through his grace and then we reestablish a pecking order that means Mm. we distort what he has done through the gospel and we create new measuring sticks which then confuse the message of the gospel the people that are hearing it or even confuse our own hearts because we're sort of oh yes i'm saved by grace but then you know i've done these things or i've you know people Mm. view me this way and so i feel like i have some credit before god because of things i've done or or who i am or uh, the things he's blessed me with which are of no credit to me but are of all credit to god Mm. um well towards the end of the passage um Jesus rebukes the the Pharisees for their particular guest list. And he says that you shouldn't have invited all your rich friends who can repay you and, you know, who you already get along with. Um, Instead, you should have gone out and welcomed in the poor and the lame and the blind and um, the maimed, I think is another word that is used there. Mm. Um, And so he he criticizes the form of hospitality that's taking place here. Mm. Um, And so my question is... um, a, what is hospitality? Is that something that's just confined to inviting people over to our own home or is it broader than that? Mm. Um, and then I guess what might biblical hospitality actually look like? Um, can you give us some examples of that? Mm. Yeah, I think um, I would define um, hospitality. I mean, it's, a, it's defined differently by people. It's a broad category in one sense, but I would put it as um, outward-looking readiness to provide for the needs of others, particularly in opening your own home. 
Mm, can you say that again? To yeah. Wrap my head so um, hospitality is outward looking readiness to provide for the needs of others, particularly in opening your own home. So it can be broader than just having somebody over for a meal. So I think as we read scripture, it can be caring for the traveler, mm-hmm. uh, for those in need who, you know, it's just loving your neighbor expressed mm-hmm. uh, more broadly. Um, we see that everywhere in scripture, specific commands at times in the New Testament to be hospitable. And that's often commanded towards other believers in particular, uh, like in Romans 12 or Galatians 6, but it's not um, only for other believers, but for the needs of those around us. We're called to love our neighbor, to care for strangers, to receive people as guests. Mm. Um, and in the, I guess in the first century context, that could involve lots of things. It would be providing water at the door for them to wash their feet because everyone wore sandals. It was mm-hmm. pouring oil on their head. It was providing a meal for them. So there was a certain scenario that was understood in the first century, and now it's different for us today. But I guess we've got to think about, well, what are those things today? What does hospitality look like for us we're not going to provide oil and perhaps a bowl of water at the door Mm -hmm. but um there'll be other things that are important to show that we actually are expressing christ's love towards them Mm -hmm. um and so what might be some examples of what biblical hospitality actually looks like for us now then yeah well it certainly can involve having somebody over for a meal I, i think um Sometimes we think about that as just inviting friends that we've known for several years mm. and having a comfortable time um, reflecting on stuff. There's nothing wrong with that, clearly. Uh, but I don't think that's hospitality the way the Bible sees it. That's more fellowship with other Christians right. and inviting long-term friendship friends around. Um, but I think hospitality is more to those that we don't know well or who are new or who are strangers altogether that are in need. Uh, that we've uh, met so i guess on a sunday at church for example there are lots of new people that came come along week by week and so if there was a new family and you invited them over hardly having more than a five minute conversation Mm -hmm. well that'd be a real true sense of biblical hospitality that um, they're new you're wanting to show hospitality and care for them we're going to have lunch anyway we'd love you to join us we're Mm -hmm. prepared to receive more people in our house please come around and join us and you're getting to know you're showing them love they might be new to the area they've just moved to Wollongong yeah it'd be great for them even if they don't stay at our church for them to hear from a believer a bit about the area um and just make them feel welcome um so that could be one example that um is clear I think we have lots of opportunities of showing hospitality um to people in our street even with neighbors it's just showing um, care it may not be so much inviting around for a meal because they've got their own kitchen across the road but right. there um there are needs that they have um there are things that we can do to um support them if they're having a hard time or assist them we know that they're i don't know about to move and so we go and support them mm-hmm. um you know the lawns of the little old man next door yeah yeah, yeah. i mean this it's just showing care for other people where we have opportunity uh, which is costly to us uh, which may not be natural to us we Mm. may not be really close or we're not doing it out of i don't know a sense of duty or um, expectation because they're a family member or a close friend and we would do it anyway Mm -hmm. Um, we're stretching ourselves to show love and um, display something of the gospel in our relationship with them Mm. so in those categories that have kind of picked out by jesus is would you say that that's like unique to the first century context that his original audience was in or that um, there's something there for us too in terms of like thinking through how to love well those who are in situations of poverty if we saw a homeless person on the street Hmm. 
what might biblical hospitality look like in that context? Yeah, well, because I mentioned in the sermon about, um, you know, we need to be careful um, about just inviting people who can repay us, which is what Jesus speaks about. And so, yeah, there's a lot of that in our society today where, um, you know, I'll invite somebody because I know they'll invite me back or I'll, I'll help them because I know they'll help me when I have a need. And and so there can be a danger that we're just uh, looking for reciprocation in what we're doing. Trading favors. Yeah. It's uh, you do something for me, I'll do something for you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think there's, uh, there's an issue about that. And so Jesus is highlighting that and he's you know looking at the gathering and saying, well, you've just invited all your rich, elite, uh, religious friends around and this is just a a party for you guys but it would have been much better if you didn't invite this guest list but you invited those in need in town what mm-hmm. about all the lame and blind and mm-hmm. uh, crippled um yeah so and of course that's very confronting because yeah that would be costly uh, those people are poor they're never going to invite the pharisee who was hosting this party mm-hmm. back um in fact it could perhaps be embarrassing because of their wrong values that um you know, they would look down on these people or they would think they're impure, unclean and mm. therefore not worthy to come in. They certainly wouldn't serve them food or sit down and eat with them. Mm. But Jesus is saying, well, that's exactly what you should be doing. So I guess in our context, what does that look like? Um, yeah, well, if there is the, I don't know, there's a, a, a family in your street or um, somebody who you come in contact during the week or even at church on a Sunday who you can see are really struggling um, with different things, maybe financially or they're 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 in and out of um accommodation or they could be um some other need and you're reaching out and providing real help to them or providing a meal in the midst of all their chaos of change that's happening yeah which would be so you know uh, appreciated no doubt in that situation now that may sound condescending oh, i'm just looking out for the people that you know are poor and i'm going to offer them help or something and um and maybe we find that hard because we mix mainly in middle class circles where everyone seems well catered for and I don't have anyone with need in my life. Well, I think that was kind of what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. I think that's an indictment on us if that is true, mm. um, that we should be uh, connecting with people from all walks of life. Mm. And, and where there are real physical needs, we should be seeking to step into them rather than mm. step back and think, oh, well, the government will provide those needs or mm. some other charity will do something for them or somebody else can look after that person and mm. I'll focus on my good friend here. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, we can so easily slip into pharisaical outlooks yes. on these things. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for that. Um, I guess connected to that, to both of the scenarios that we've looked at where um, the Pharisees kind of chose who was on their guest list, but then also who sat where, um, is this idea of pride. Um, and I think, um, yeah, maybe it's one of those sins that can creep into our lives a lot more subtly than some other things. Um, and it, I think perhaps is something that's maybe difficult to detect in us until it's already like fully grown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just wondering if you can a like define pride for us and then be kind of, um, maybe help us think through how to, um, discern if that's something that's growing up in our own hearts and minds Mm. um how we can combat that as well yeah well i think pride ultimately is attributing honor to yourself which belongs to god or to another person Mm. um so you know we want to be seen as 
important or to um, be honored by others we think well of what we can do or say and so we're um, we we get puffed up about things that we've done or said um, but what we're doing is just stealing honor that belongs to to God who if he has given us the ability to do something is really the one worthy of credit um, or we've taken credit for something that somebody else has really done um, and it's just about our own pride wanting to be seen as the one um, yeah, I think it can be hard to diagnose because we don't see it in ourselves. You know, there's all these jokes about the person that announces, I'm finally humble or yeah. <laughs> goes to the mountaintop and says, I've beaten pride, yeah. uh, you know, and we, we struggle because, um, but I think we can see it. There are, there are some diagnostic tests we could think about. Um, refusal to depend on God and be subject to his rule. Like ultimately, um, the Bible often linked pride with our rebellion against God in our in our lostness in our sin, and so the ultimate uh, of pride then is that I don't see my need of forgiveness that I think I've got it that I reject God and His goodness and faithfulness and His offer of salvation mm. in my arrogance, mm. um, which yeah is kind of the taproot I guess of pride and. We see that from Genesis 3, um, you know, we think we know better. So yeah. Adam and Eve will eat of the fruit because they can be like God. And so it's this desire to be my own God. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge. God must have held out on us in the first place. Yeah, yeah. all of that. And um, so I think that's that's one way we can see it in terms of relation to, relationship to God. It can also just be arrogance or insolence shown towards other people uh, or even presumption, you know, mm. that we know better, that mm. we dismiss what they say even before they've said it because yeah. we're so sure that we are the expert on this topic. Mm. And so there's a pride there that I know more or I, I'm not interested in what you've got to say. Um, and so our responsiveness to people, our presumption, um, I guess the obvious one that people will think about is boasting about our achievements. And so, oh, I got this mark in this test or I've done this or I now have this job, aren't I important? <laughs> and that kind of stuff's easier to pick. Um, yeah. But sometimes we don't even hear ourselves saying that. We, we still can be, you know, unaware. But I think some, there's other aspects that I just mentioned can be a bit more subtle and we can miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if we're going to combat that, then, you know, the Bible talks a lot about humility. Um, so we've got to grow in humility. Um and I think you say, okay, well, how do I grow in humility? Uh, well, I need to learn to imitate Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, I'm uh, gentle and humble in spirit. Mm. And he can say that genuinely because it's true and he's the son of God. But he provides a model of the way he speaks and lives that we're to keep looking to. That's why we study the Bible in part. Um, but yes, uh, looking to Jesus, I think seeing ourselves rightly... Um, by having those around us that can speak into our life. So if we, if we are ignorant of our pride or the way we come across, yeah. then to have a good Christian friend who's willing to say hard things to us that we yeah. will listen to can be crucial because we just won't see it at times mm-hmm. um, or we'll miss the way we come across in a particular moment or a scenario we might generally be trying really hard uh, to imitate Christ, but in a particular setting, we say or do something that comes across really badly to others and mm-hmm. we just don't see it. And somebody can pull us up and say, you know, the other day when you did that, 
um, this is how that was perceived by yeah, everybody. Yeah. Um, that can be so helpful. Yeah. Um, what about with like, so I'm just thinking like in this passage, Jesus sort of says, don't, don't take, you know, seat A, um, assume seat Z, Z um, so that, you know, if somebody more important than you comes along, that you're, you're not going to be humiliated by being demoted down the table. Rather, like, sit somewhere humbly and then you might be elevated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering, like, I think um, perhaps it can be even easy to project a sense of humility, but that internally there's something prideful happening. So I could be sitting in seat Z mm. and I look like I'm being really humble, but on the inside I'm like, look at me, I'm sitting in seat Z, like... Mm. And I say, great. Like, yeah. And so there's this internal monologue of pride happening, even if it's not being seen externally. Yes. And I think it came up in a few of the home groups, came up in ours. Oh, um, did it? Yeah. Because I think it's so hard at times to untangle our motives. We can have false motives even when we look outwardly like we're doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and that's where pride is not only what is actually said, but what I'm thinking. Mm. And this is the harder bit. Um, so we can yeah, present ourselves in a certain way, but yeah, what's going through our mind is the opposite. Yeah. So again, um, we need to, I guess, keep reading God's word, asking his spirit to change us and mold us, to um, put on the fruit of the spirit and to get mm. rid of these sinful habits, including uh, prideful thinking and mm. speaking and acting. And we need to realize too that the Bible is full of the fact that God will combat our pride if we don't. Uh, like <laughs> the pride does come before a fall as proverbs mm. 16 says and that god resists the proud and favors mm. the humble yeah. you know that gets set often james 4 1 peter 5 um and we're told over and over too even as we learn about the gospel like in that famous passage in romans 3 romans three twenty seven basically is saying the gospel excludes boasting mm. like if we truly understand the bo- uh the gospel then It'll be a skewing pride in our life. Yeah. Um, and that's a long-term project as all our process yeah. of sanctification is. So we're going to keep growing in it and we're going to keep struggling over our lifetime. Mm. But this is God's work, and, but we're to work with him. Mm. We're to keep in step with the spirit and not keep resisting the changes and the conforming to Christ's likeness that God is trying to produce in us. Mm. And we see that model so beautifully, obviously, in Christ himself who... Um, humbles himself to become a man and die on a cross for us. But I was thinking as you were speaking too of Paul's example where he just kind of throws out that resume that he has of all these accomplishments and things that he could be um, proud of, I guess, Um, and says, actually, no, if we're going to boast in anything, our boast is Christ. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Great passages. Yeah. Good examples there. Um, Well, you spoke too of, um, I guess, just being able to – because we are so, um, we've been given everything that we need in Christ and we have been um, so loved by the Father that actually that liberates us to be able to um, engage in kind of one-way relationships where we actually don't need anything from other people. We don't need them to be affirming us or to be loving us the way that we've been loving them because we've kind of, we've got everything that we already need. Um, and so there's a real challenge there to actually invest in, in, in bad investments i guess like go for it um give time and energy to relationships that aren't necessarily going to be repaying you um to people who aren't going to be giving back to you and inputting to you the way that you are inputting to Mm. them um i'm just wondering um is there like (laughs) disclaimers around that or should we just should we just go for it always or is there um i don't know room for some wisdom and discernment in terms of 
what relationships we we do engage in um, I guess there's the potential for us to be participating in and, and even enabling um, toxic relationships mm-hmm. is that what Christ is calling us to or um, I don't know are there some disclaimers mm. around that yeah, it's a good question. I think there's definitely a difference between one-way relationships, if we call them that, and toxic relationships. Mm. Uh, in simple terms, I'd say a one-way relationship is where you freely help serve another. Uh, in a toxic relationship, there's a level of coercing or manipulation right. where you're not really voluntarily serving or seeking mm. to love or show hospitality to that person. Mm. Uh, where That's a helpful you, distinction. Yeah, and I think Jesus is not calling us to be abused or oppressed. Um, but f- for some of us, uh, we do need to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and be willing to do costly relationships. So mm. sometimes our fear of being in a relationship that's going to be difficult might be, oh, that I'm going to be manipulated or that this is going to be go toxic or I might be open to abuse. So I guess there's that risk of that in any relationship. But if that means like I never step outside of my comfort zone or love somebody that um, is you know, difficult or harder for me or that I serve in one way, there's going to be no reciprocation. Um, I can't constantly be self-protecting yeah. so that I don't ever reach out to anybody. Yeah. And so there's a balance there. But yes, yeah, certainly on the other hand, um, yeah, we're not to place ourselves uh, in positions where we're being you know, physically or verbally or emotionally abused in a relationship. Uh, mm. we, we need to get out of such relationships um, regardless of the scenario. Um, so, yes, we, we need to differentiate. But, yeah, I think there's a balance. Sometimes um, we can be so um, self-preserving that we never really, um, you know, extend ourselves mm. into harder situations. Um, and perhaps it depends on our personality. For others, they're very heart on the sleeve wanting to help everybody in need and maybe for them they find themselves in too many situations where it is difficult and they're overwhelmed actually and Mm -hmm. they've overextended themselves so we need to be conscious of who we are and what we can commit to what we can do and not think um that we are christ and we can end up with a messiah complex where we've (laughs) got to fix and save everybody too so there is a a spectrum here um but I think for many of us, we're fairly comfortable middle-class people who need to be stretched. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for some of us, we really need to hear uh, Jesus rebuke strongly too, that mm. don't just be looking to your comfortable, rich friends that will repay you. Mm. Um, be stepping out. That's uh, Jesus is seeking the poor, uh, the humble, the lost, um, you know, and so often mm. we don't quite have that same mindset. Yeah, you um, mentioned in your talk um, that if we're kind of feeling pretty comfortable in all of our relationships, that we're probably not doing this right. <laughs> mm-hmm. We probably haven't actually extended ourselves the way that Jesus is calling us to. Yeah, and I mean, coming back to that issue of hospitality, uh, like one um, person who has written and spoke on this really strongly in the last few years is Rosaria Butterfield and, and her yes. husband, Kent. And um, Rosaria uh, wrote a book on the gospel comes with a house key and uh, I think the subtitle is something about showing extraordinary uh, love in the ordinary or something like that Mm -hmm. and um, so they constantly have people to their house I mean her husband is a a minister in a Presbyterian church um, but 
all the same, they have this sort of open house policy where just every meal is potentially people coming around and so mm-hmm. their table is constantly full of strangers they've hardly met. Yeah. And they're open. And all kinds of people too, like I've read parts of that book. <laughs> and she talks about, um, you know, their their neighbour with um, drug addiction and just the different people that they've literally adopted into their home and the backstory that those people have had. And it's not just like, oh, this is a friendly neighbourhood. Um, these people are all you know, middle class and have these picture perfect lives. Mm. Um, there's mess. They're inviting people in baggage and all. Yes. They're, they're having huge conversations and helping in different ways and referring them when there's um, large social issues that are happening sometimes yeah. and the people they've invited in. I mean, yeah, read the book. Um, they're also, if you want to like a summary of the book, they did a podcast with Mark Dever's Nine Marks. That's episode 67 on there podcast and they have a great um sort of conversation about how they do all this mm-hmm. i'll have a go and see if i can link that in our show notes if you're interested in having listened to that podcast um well our final question for today um you you mentioned in your talk like if jesus came and sat down at our table like he would have a few things to say to us as well um that yeah we wouldn't be necessarily greeted with this warm fuzzy person but with somebody who actually had some real rebukes for us in how we're living Mm. um and so i guess my final question is just um well what do you think jesus would say to us as a church like if he came and sat down um and had a meal with wollongong baptist church Mm. um what 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 might he say what areas of sin do we need to work on as a church um how can we as individuals work to get rid of those areas of sin in our life Mm. Well, I guess firstly, um, like many evangelical churches in, in Wollongong in Australia today, we are fairly middle class as a church. And um, I think the one aspect where we really are reaching out to those that have greater need is our involvement with migrants. And so we have you know, four non-English speaking services and um, lots of them have come from overseas recently and there's lots of struggles in that. Mm. And so I guess a, a big focus for our church has been to sort of move into that space and to care for those in particular there are many other needs in Wollongong for the homeless and drug affected and lots of other things but I guess our focus as a church has been on migrants Mm -hmm. and so we sort of see that as a a strength but that strength of inclusion can also be um, a weakness as well that we can think that we're doing good things in that space and and I am thankful for the things that are happening in that space there are some people that really give heart and soul into that area yes. but yeah but i think there are, there's a sense in which um some of us may not really be engaged in that kind of work and are mm. just thankful that somebody else is doing it mm-hmm. and we could be involved and we're not really showing a lot of inclusion in our own life mm. but sometimes a strength can even be a weakness you know we are a very multicultural church and we do have many nationalities even in our english services and so we are generally good at welcoming new people on a sunday but I think that times that's just at a surface level. We can struggle actually to go to deeper, costly relationships during the week outside of just the, the meet and greet and a conversation mm. and a cuppa on Sunday, as, as yeah. helpful as that is. Um, so I think there's a struggle for, for us um, to do that well, um, to really relate at deeper levels uh, from people from different backgrounds, especially those new to the country. Um, I think that's a struggle for every church. You know, we can have cliques, we can have long-term friendships in the church and we really want to hang out with them and spend time with them when we're here on a Sunday. And that means we just don't bother to really engage with the newer people, let alone invite them over during the week. Um, 
And, and I think more than that, I, I think in Western society today, people have been writing on this for a couple of decades now. There's an epidemic of loneliness. Mm. And I think I see that even for some in our own church. I think particularly for those who are elderly or widowed at times, mm. but it can be younger people also. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of people looking for connection, mm-hmm. but because of the situation they find themselves and not the ones readily invited or included or feeling part of the in-group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they can be amongst us. Um, you can be in a crowd and still be really lonely. Yeah, And I think that that can happen in the life of our church here Mm -hmm. and we could really grow in that i think jesus would probably point out some of those people to us Mm. readily Mm. well well, um thank you so much for your time and for preaching on sunday and for um just unpacking this passage more for us um on this episode i found it really helpful and such a challenging such a challenging passage but um yeah thank you thanks grace You have been listening to Deeper by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at any of our services this coming Sunday. For details and to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.